This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers. It is the weekend edition of the podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, where have you been? We've done 150 episodes, over 26,000 downloads. Thank you for joining us. Welcoming to the podcast, the co-host of the show, Mr. Leon Logan Nathan. How are you, Pete? Is this good for you? (laughs) (laughs) Mate, if you can do that for the whole app, that would be absolutely fantastic. I need to be. Uh, I, I need to be on some some substance or something, mate, to be able to carry that for about half an hour to an hour. <laughs> the old disco biscuits, you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Look, let's welcome the man of the hour for the weekend edition of the Territory Story podcast. It's weekends with Walshie's namesake, Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. How are you, Walshie? Hey, I'm good, guys. Good to see you again this week. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, uh, let's get straight into it. Uh, we're going to kick it off, uh, Chris, with Zachary Rolf to stand trial over the death of Kumanjai Walker. That's pretty big news. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge story this week, of course. Uh, this, you know, very um, divisive case, I think, to put it mildly, in the community right now. Of course, uh, the incident transpiring last November uh, in Uendamu when um, uh, Constable Zachary Rolf with the NT police uh, is alleged to have shot and killed Kamanji Walker uh, in an arrest uh, the situation, I guess, that went horribly wrong. Uh, yeah, as, as you guys know about the, the kind of political unrest that that sparked, um, it, it, not only in the community, uh, but also across, I think, the Northern Territory and a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, passion on that from both sides. Uh, you know, a lot of people supporting Zach Rolf and the police, a lot of people saying, other people saying that, you know, he, he, he shot and killed this teenager. He should have done something else. There was no need to do that. So um, where, where this all went, so last month you had a three-day uh, committal hearing where, you know, the facts were, were kind of thrown on the table there and videos were played. Uh, body-worn footage, of course, I mean, from the night of the incident. Uh, it, 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 it went for a while. It was a pretty drawn-out affair. The judge at the end of that said, look, I'm going to need some time come back and I'll make a decision on whether or not he should be committed to stand trial. You know, there was a lot of people, as I understand, lined up in Alice Springs, uh, awaiting this decision by Judge John Birch uh, on whether or not he would go. You know, there, there was stories coming out of there that if, if Zachary Rolfe wasn't committed to stand trial, that there could have been some you know, I, I guess expressions of hostility and anger uh, uh, down now, as you want to move other places. Uh, so anyway, what happened, though, uh, the judge called everybody in. Well, they had some technical difficulties, so it was delayed. Everybody's waiting, you know, at 10 a.m. OK, what's going to happen here? And it gets called off until two. They go back at two. The judge says that he uh, he does think that there's enough evidence uh, for Zachary Rolf to stand trial. Uh, for the shooting death of Kwan J. Walker. Um, and so now this will kind of kick off, I guess, uh, next month in November. 
there, there was a suppression order made and there had been a suppression order before, like at the end of the committal. So we were doing stories on certain days that had uh, information that came out of that trial because <laughs> one, the courts, I've got to say, were really good because, you know, this is all going on kind of in Alice Springs, but then you've got Rolf who's over in, uh, down in Canberra and they had a room, they have a room up here in Darwin at the Supreme Court where you can, journalists can listen live as it's going on. And they also were really good at turning around transcripts. So, uh, our previous reports from last month kind of went into some of the detail of that body worn uh, footage. And that's kind of still the subject of a suppression order now. So we can't kind of report on that stuff. Uh, and then the, the other thing was that, that the defense made, and probably rightfully so, is that the decision is suppressed. Like the reasons for Birch's decision is, uh, is suppressed. And of course, he agreed with that. The judge and said uh, it, could, it could poison a jury, could influence a jury coming up here on why exactly he thinks there's enough evidence. There were so many experts called in this whole thing, like, you know, forensic experts out of the States, uh, uh, a lot of witnesses from the police, people who were working with him, who were working on this operation that, you know, the plan was to to arrest uh, Kumanje Walker the next morning, but then they got some intel that uh, that he was around and they went to the house and then the whole incident went down. And of course, you know, it had come out that um, the Walker had stabbed uh, Zach Rolf with a pair of scissors in the shoulder uh, just before the shooting. So some of that evidence we can still, you know, openly talk about. Some of the stuff that really gets into the details that's on that body-worn footage, uh, we can't because of the suppression order here now. And we, we had our lawyers look at it to just let us know. The last thing any journalist or any media organization wanted to do was be held in contempt of court when there's something this serious coming up where you've got uh, uh, people who are going to have to make decisions um, on whether or not, you know, and then this will get back to life and death and, uh, and what's going to, how this all pans out here. And, yeah, look to the, the divisions in the community being what they are. Whatever happens here, it's it's certainly going to upset one section of the community. Mm -hmm. Hey, Chris, just a question on that. With, with the suppression order, um, you're talking as though you know what that information is or you've seen that, but you're just not mm -hmm. allowed to relay it. Is, is that the yeah. case? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. So, yeah, we had that in the story and we had to take it out. It was from some old stories and you know, there's some area there where you could probably push some things, but, uh, uh, you know, in, in the, in the best interest of everybody, it's probably better to just, uh, let it all come out again here and how it'll go. But everybody's probably read it. You know, this, this mm -hmm. was like, I think our most read story of the week. Uh, and I think everybody's been following it from the beginning. So they're probably aware, but it, it was really, I think we can say that there was differing opinion from experts and, uh, on exactly what happened and what went down. So yeah. we'll leave that to them. But, uh, uh, yeah, but all that, look, all that information is going to come out eventually. And I think, yeah, people who read it would probably know already, but let's see yeah. and let's keep the jury open and let's hope that there is a fair trial here anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a technical question on that. Um, it says that the police officer will uh, stand trial over the death um, of, of the person in Uendamu. So does that mean that they haven't uh, exactly decided the exact charges? No, sorry, that must have just been the, the wording on a particular thing, but I think we had somewhere in there that he does, he is in fact charged with murder. It is wow. murder. Wow, okay. Yeah, Gee. so about as serious you can get. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 
Yeah, well, turning to something uh, a little more positive. Um, we, we doubt it, mate. <laughs> well, well, okay. Turning to something a little more positive, unless your name ends in Mills. Uh, <laughs> uh, new campaign disclosures show that Terry Mills uh, donated a lot more to his party than, than we first realised. Yeah, well, geez, yeah. I mean, look, we didn't know what he donated first. And then a couple of weeks ago, they tell us it's $200,000. Mm. which we were speaking about a couple of weeks ago. I think you guys maybe were with Woody. And uh, we were saying, wow, like, you know, it's a lot of money. Uh, well, come to find out now, they've amended it again. And now they're saying that it's, that in fact, Terry Mills, out of his own pocket, donated $366,000 to the uh, failed, yeah. the failed, just horrible campaign. And uh, there was, and the debacle was Robin Lamb, like all of it was Territory Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like we were thinking, like you know, that's it must be pretty lucrative being in politics these days. You got that kind of money to throw around at a, at a campaign. Yeah, uh, just, just to confirm, Leon, um, being the tax specialist, that's double pre-tax dollars, right? Yeah, well, double. Pre well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's after-tax dollars. Yeah, yes. but but in order to be able to donate that, you've got to earn double. Yeah, or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, or thereabouts, yeah. Wow. Ooh, yeah. Um, it's, it's remarkable, especially when you consider that uh, no one else <laughs> donated anywhere near as much as that to anybody else uh, in the campaign. And, you know, by contrast, and of course, you know, he's, he's running a, a startup party, and I think you guys kind of canvassed all of the issues that they had there in terms of paying their campaign director, James Lantry and, and Delia Laurie and uh, paying for polling and a whole bunch of other things that went along with that. Uh, it is, and you know, it is a party and uh, they needed cash for campaign, but yeah, uh, that much money. I mean, wow. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, what kind of, what, I, I don't know what that feeling would be like to lose <laughs> no. that much money because that's yeah. really what it is. It's like being at the casino. Yep. That's how and letting it all ride and thinking, even if I win something back, you know, I'll be good. If he, if he had kept his job, I think he probably thought, oh yeah, I haven't, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll win some seats and we'll be able to get some funding and, you know, we'll move it forward. But that wasn't to be, that's $366,000 just completely gone for Terry. Yeah. And, you know, we talked last week about the whole mess with Robin Lamley leaving in the party, trying to boot her out and stuff. Well, we see now, and, you know, they said at the time, uh, look, she didn't contribute anything to this party. She's running her own agenda. Uh, well, you know, turns out she put 8500 bucks personally into it and another 14400 through her business, Matt Harry's. Mm. So she's out 23000 bucks uh, for all of that, where she probably would have done better off just staying as an independent in the whole thing. Maybe mm. would have won that seat even more handily. Uh <laughs> Some of the donations, yeah, you just look at, I mean, you got your typical um, labor. Uh, of course, you know, it being the government, getting uh, money donations from developers, gambling agencies, unions, uh, other elected members, and of course, those closely aligned with the party, which is very interesting because, you know, we did that story and we talked about how um, the staffers, they had done the staffing shakeup on the fifth floor, right? These, the, the advisors, the media advisors, the policy advisors, the quote-unquote department liaison people. So I went through there and there's only like two people 
who still have jobs there wow. who gave money in terms of the like the staffers and these are the people i mean really who drank kool-aid clearly and <laughs> are thinking like yeah you know what i should maybe kick in 2400 bucks this year and someone else said yeah what about 3700 so it's uh, chris grace who is a uh, he was jerry mccarthy's chief of staff he kicked in 2400 and the great kent rowe who you guys might know uh was the secretary of the party uh for a while he got rolled there they brought in another guy kent went to work for spro locally here the marketing uh. company and then for some reason he was actively involved in running the campaign the, the 2020 re-election campaign while he was employed with spro so now he's been given this made-up job uh parliamentary liaison specialist or something i don't know <laughs> what they're calling it uh you know big bucks for kent Meanwhile, he had kicked in uh, 3700 bucks. while he's a private Joe working at Sprout Marketing. He says, oh, I'm going to get the party 3700 bucks," And then oh, he ends up with a job that uh, would be paying significantly more than what he was doing in the private sector. But here, here, here's one of the ones that I thought was interesting. There's a couple of interesting things in here um, from the disclosures besides that. And I think that's interesting. And that'll come back. We've got more on that kind of stuff. But uh, Keys of Pure. So... Of course, Terry Mills's nemesis, the woman who uh, who did who tried to do his party in early on when it was called something else, and of course she gets uh, found out by the ICAC to have engaged in corrupt conduct and uh, is forced to resign as speaker. So she does run again. Remember we talked about this. Uh, so the, and and she won. And I see the goiter. Um, there was, however, a twenty three percent swing against her uh which is i mean that's enough to knock anybody else yeah. over because she was up so high before kind of brought her back down to earth if that's possible but the thing that i find <laughs> interesting here is that she reported spending so she she said that she didn't raise any money from any donations and i i believe that i don't think anyone's donating to uh, a rural MLA's election campaign and a disgraced speaker of that. But she then reported spending $2,367 on her campaign. That is a pretty shoestring budget mm. uh, to run a campaign on. Of course, she's an independent member, so she had to pay for her signs. Um, you know, I don't even know how she could do that for 2300 bucks. Anyway, that's what she's claimed. The, the audit, mm. I guess, will take care of that when they have to prove it now. One of the issues that we've always talked about is how uh, sitting members of parliament have access to their electorate allowance, right? And I don't, there's, there's no rules against this, but they can use that electorate allowance basically however they see fit as long as, you know, they keep the, the, the tax office happy uh, in, in providing how they spend that money. Um, so it wouldn't be surprised for me to see that she'd probably spent some of that electorate allowance here to buy signs and to... Uh, to get reelected, which she did. Um, just another couple of quick ones, though. Of course, uh, Kezia's good friend who was running in uh, the neighboring electorate of Nelson to replace Jerry Wood was Beverly Ratahi. So she raised, she reported $500 from one donation, but spent more than 15000 in her failed attempt to win the seat. Um, so that's what she said, uh, which was... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of money kicking yourself, but we saw that too with Territory Alliance. I think Daniel Kelly was putting in uh, tens of thousands of dollars in that too. So these mm -hmm. guys are all in it for for hefty sums. 
my favorite guy though i've got to <laughs> say this and i think the guy who's got it right is uh trevor <laughs> trevor's got it all figured out and this is why trevor is a political genius so he ran against he ran against kezia there in goiter uh he according to his disclosures he raised 70 dollars from six donors so but here's where he's really smart like when it gets over two thousand dollars you have to name the donors the donors have to be disclosed but Trevor had it all figured out. Small donations, keep them small. Yeah. So he had six people who contributed. <laughs> I don't know what that works out to. A little over ten dollars each. He got seventy bucks, um, and that their, their names get to remain silent. Now, what he also reported was that he only spent about sixty-five bucks on his campaign. So I guess he's maybe made off of five bucks. Yeah, it makes him a bigger winner than Terry Mills on the night. I'll tell you that. Uh, so he spent eight bucks on advertising, 45 on print material, and $11 on direct mailing. I love that. He received 64 votes for his efforts. 65 bucks, 64 wow. votes, a dollar a vote. Yeah, it's pretty It's not good. bad. Yeah. Yep. If he can raise so, some more funds next time, he might get more votes. <laughs> wow. uh, it's just anti-politics. It's just so bizarre. And um, I'm really looking forward to the BDO. And, you know, uh, they don't say the NTEC doesn't really call it an audit at any time. Anyway, they say it's a BDO report. So, but they are going to look at it. I was talking to them today. And, uh, yeah, they're going to have to, the candidates will have to show the breakdowns. I think they're still waiting for seven. They were telling me this afternoon, uh, seven independent candidates still yet to disclose, uh, all of their expenditure. Um, so we'll wait and see that, but I think some, some, some interesting stuff's going to come up there. Mm. Stand by and stand back for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, what's next? We have got, yeah, this is a bit of a sad story, mate. Uh, opposition calls on Ghana government to intervene in Catherine Health Clinic closure. Uh, 8,000 patients in Catherine are holding grave concerns about their healthcare services as the town's only accessible clinic, Gorge Health, is set to close its doors, leaving vulnerable elderly residents with no option but to travel to Darwin for kids. Yeah, look, yeah, that's uh, the story coming out this week. We, of course, reported this months ago when it was first being tossed around. The government uh, last week in Parliament said to uh, the, the local member for Catherine, of course, CLP member Joe Hersey, that, uh, that they had contingency plans in place and everything would be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, come get a briefing is what they said. And anyway, so as of uh, yesterday, last night, the clinic is closed and we still don't know what the government's contingency plan is. Uh, it looks like there, there may be some other options there. Well, I mean, look, they're looking for a new, for somebody to buy this clinic because it was private clinic and run uh if it hasn't happened now i don't know what's the incentive to get it happening anytime soon and the government certainly doesn't seem to i mean maybe they'll they'll now that it's closed start moving and trying to try to arrange something for them but uh yeah it's 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 a difficult situation there in catherine if they have to come up and some of them will most definitely have to come to darwin i think what do we have in there that the next clear uh next nearest private clinic was in Humpty Doo. So that tells you how 
for they'd have to to come up uh mm. some talk that you know and 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 it's really that would be rough on the vulnerable sick you know and elderly uh there's also some talk that they could um that they may be some at the hospital but and of course there's this other clinic there that's um uh for indigenous that uh apparently and i don't know the ins and outs on this but um not not really an option for non-indigenous uh members of the community to use that facility so yeah that look this is you know you got to feel bad for Catherine in in some ways uh this isn't good and, and you know they've they've been subject to some some bad crime stuff too and uh, i get the you know and i could get the sense that the Catherine and some of the other more uh, remote uh uh, towns and stuff are, are probably feeling a lot let down and feeling neglected where mm. you know here, here we go up in darwin we're celebrating we've got a loxa festival we've got uh Ango madness festival going on and these mm. people you know that they, they just lost their only health care clinic and i imagine that, that that's troublesome and worrisome for a lot of residents down there so yeah the clp's out here uh really kind of turning up the heat on the government to try and get them to uh to, to, to figure out some way to help these people. And, you know, outside of uh, getting another uh, private, you know, somebody to open it up. And if there was business sense there, I really don't know what the answer is going to be. And mm. it appears the government doesn't know what the answer is either because they haven't done much. It, it seems that it would be right up the Labor Party's alley to uh, facilitate yeah. this type of service. It, I mean, that, that is basically what their whole mantra is. Yeah, well, uh, not this time, I guess. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. don't care about Catherine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, look, when, when you look, talk to the AMA down there who's been kind of blowing the whistle on this for a while, saying that this is a big crisis for Catherine. So, mm. you know, even, you know, you got, you got them saying that surely the government can come in and work out something if there's got to be some sort of, uh, you know, get get doctors down there to, yeah. to run a shift. I don't know what the answer is. Like, I really yeah, don't. It's, yeah. it's going to be complicated. And I don't yeah. envy them for trying to, to solve this either because it is going to be tough. But, yeah, anyway, Catherine deserves it. They need something down there. So hopefully the government gets around to it. And, Chris, is this a specialist clinic or is this just a uh, like a GP's clinic? Yeah, this is just GP. Yeah, wow. this is just general. And he's got, look, over 8,000. I think the doctor was saying it was him and another doctor. And they just got to a point where things were getting a little crazy, a little hectic. And, yeah. uh, he was taking some time now. It's going to be done. But yeah, they were definitely overworked. And and that's, I mean, that in itself is a problem. And, you know, yeah. and then maybe there's something that, that, that could have been done uh, to relieve that stress or that strain so that it doesn't get to this point. Like, you know, maybe if he yeah. had, had more days off, if he had less of, a, of a, a heavy workload, that maybe the stress wouldn't have been there as much to close. So, yep. Uh, not a good thing for Catherine here, but hopefully we'll get it. I don't quite understand is that it, is it, they're saying that they're operating on wafer-thin margins. What, what, is, what business model do they have down there in Catherine that doesn't work, <laughs> that appears to work up here? Because we have plenty of options for uh, yeah. billing. Uh, and, mm. um, uh, you know, I mean, as, as hard as the GPs work up here, I don't think they're seeing 8,000. They need to see 8,000 people in order to to make a wafer thin margin. Jesus, it doesn't make sense to me, this, this whole mm. issue. You don't think so? Yeah, I don't know. On Darwin, would they see 8,000? There's a lot of clinics. Yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, yeah, 
in terms of what he's making and if it's not profitable. Hmm. I would have thought one of these entrepreneurial bulk billing clinics uh, would, would swoop in for something like that. So let, let's hope that's get, that gets sorted sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be mm. something. Uh, Chris, turning back to politics for a moment, uh, the, the ABC ignores a conflict of interest as the Chief Minister's office helps arrange a speaking gig for one of their reporters. <laughs> uh, like, look, Pete, I, I sent that to somebody and I was telling them about it interstate one of the journalist bodies, and I said, you know, I wish I was making this stuff up because you're not <laughs> going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. But, look, this is the Northern Territory where we, uh, where we accept conflicts of interest every day, and we're mm. basically told to do that, look the other way, as we have for people in positions of power here since the beginning. And uh, I think at some point somebody's got to stand up and say, no, it's not good enough. You know, we've, the Territory needs to be held to a higher standard than what's currently being accepted and you know until until that happens and somebody starts showing some integrity we're not going to get any better i mean this goes to the to the what did i call it in the editorial a tropical political rot of the system here yeah. and 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 that's what it is and and we just seem to accept this and look the other way on this conflict of interest because oh darwin's a small town and isn't it unfortunate that uh, that this reporter at ABC happened to fall in love and marry <laughs> the chief minister? Like, really, it's been put yeah. to me like that. And, you know, do, yeah. do, shouldn't she be able to, and we're talking about Christy O'Brien here, who's married to Michael Gunner, um, shouldn't she be allowed to have a, a career? Sure. Uh, of course. But there's something called personal responsibility like when you when you make decisions in life you need to live with the consequences of those mm. decisions and 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 this is just this just gets to the fundamental problem that i have with the northern territory overall is the idea that you can do whatever you want and there are no consequences that you know you get into the public service you get into government i think even more of those political jobs uh go ahead because everybody's done it before you take what you want get out of town stay in town, keep, keep looting the place and everyone's going to look the other way. And until we start not looking the other way and start looking at it, it's just, just going to stay the same. And it, it's just really disappointing. And like for one, you know, when we're doing this, sorry, and I'll explain it in a sec, but <laughs> in the preamble here, but I know Christy, I worked with Christy, uh, even when David Wood and I were at the NT News, she had come in and done a project that we collaborated on. It was kind of like a documentary about the NT News. And I was featured in it heavily and David Wood. Like, we know Kristen. We know that she's a very good reporter and she's a really good person too. Uh, unfortunately, this issue now is just to the point where it needs to be addressed and it can't just be overlooked because of those things, because she's really nice and because she's a good journalist. Um, when she made that decision uh, to to to, um, to kind of be partners with Michael Gunner, I mean, there there are consequences that come with that. You can't just do it. So, <laughs> further to the to the story that I'm about to just get into, the just want to say that back in 2016, this was raised with senior or by senior uh, some senior reporters at ABC after Gunner was elected chief minister, saying uh, we've there's a conflict of interest here. 
And the conflict of interest is, is, is glaring and it's, it's, it slaps you right in the face that you've got a reporter there who's married to the chief minister, right? Like this wouldn't happen in, in Melbourne or in Sydney or in Brisbane, anywhere. Um, and so these, these reporters, because what it does is it calls the integrity of every other reporter into question in that newsroom, right? So on Friday, last Friday, uh, there was a press conference that Gunnar had that we weren't invited to again. Um, but I watched it online and, uh, it was near the end that an ABC journalist, uh, was questioning him about scrapping the, uh, legislative scrutiny committee. And we talked about that last week. That was like the biggest political story of the week that and Robin Lamley, but about how labor came in, uh, as soon as they were sworn in, scrapped one of their key integrity measures that they had uh, pledged to bring in. And in fact, that they had run for three years. Uh, with this oversight body for all the legislation they were proposing that allowed not only, you know, opposition and independent MLAs to, to scrutinize and offer comment on proposed legislation, but also the public to come in and, and stakeholder bodies to give their uh, opinion before before it's ran through Parliament, which is just, it was widely lauded as um, as a great effort and, and, and as good as Bill that it was restoring integrity or at least improving and, and leading to an open and transparent parliament for everybody. Uh, so Friday, this reporter starts questioning him about this. He's there to talk uh, saving lives, saving jobs, whatever he's talking about. And, um, and it was really dull, that press conference until that part. And he, he snapped. He, she said at one point, you know, he said, now this is, we're, we're scrapping the scrutiny committee. It was, you know, it wasn't anything big, which is what he always says. And, you know, the CLP now has an opposition, a bigger opposition being eight now instead of two before. And so therefore they can scrutinize these bills and it's on them. The onus is on them to scrutinize everything before that. Now, this isn't something that he said in 2016. He didn't say, I'm bringing this in because the CLP opposition is only two members and we need this. He, he sold this to us all before the election that this was a great initiative that was going to restore integrity of parliament. And then he, now he's blaming the CLP for it. And he even did some like Trump thing where he said, oh, the CLP think they're not up to it. They don't think they can handle it. I hope that they prove territorians wrong. I mean, it was just not, CLP never yeah. said that. It's, yeah. It just didn't say it. So he, um, she says to him, the reporter says, well, really, that doesn't pass the pub test, what you're saying right now, your explanation of this. And he kind of kind of gets a little agitated there. And she says, you know, do you think that because you were reelected that you have a mandate to do whatever you please without explaining it to anybody? And this angers him even more. And you can see he starts to get this, this silly look on his face that he had that day that the ABC journal down in Alice chastised him when he was pulling his sweary Mick routine. <laughs> Remember when he was doing that? And he just and he has this look on his face. So he gets that look on his face. And then she says, she keeps asking questions to her credit. You know, he's trying to divert and uh, pivot the, the, the question, the issue to something else. So she keeps on him and says something about being arrogant. And he says, stop, stop, stop. Just stop you ask me a question, you need to hear the answer. And it's like, well, we've already heard the answer for the last three, four minutes. And it's not going to get any better than this last one. But truly remarkable that that the elected leader of the NT would 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 lash out at a journalist and, and basically tell her, stop asking me questions. But I mean, look, this is a guy who's banned us from asking him questions. So, 
I guess we shouldn't be surprised. But to see that, and like I had the earphones in and I was finding it hard to hear the reporter, but I could hear him very clear. And I think even if you were to see that now, if you, if you put the headphones in, you can, you can really hear the, uh, the anger and exasperation in his voice and the way that he shuts her down like that, which is just remarkable. Like, I'll tell you, if, if, if we were in there and he shut down like one of our reporters like that, like things, you know, would be done. We'd be backing our reporter. Like you don't do that. You just don't do that. And, and as an editor, you've got to back your reporter and something like that. So what happens is the ABC, uh, no, they choose the other option, which is to do nothing at all. So, you know, this is about 3.30, I think, on Friday. We got, I think I got the story up. We got the story up a little after 4. Um, fully expected that to be on the news. You know, we've got ABC on in the newsroom in the afternoon. And uh, it, it wasn't, didn't make any of the news stories uh, or on the, 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 the radio news. Didn't go online that night or the next day. Didn't go on any of the, the, the 7 p.m. bulletins over the weekend even. Uh, so it, it, it is a bit suspicious and you got to go back to what we were talking about before. I mean, is there a reason that they wouldn't report that? And is it because uh, that it's negative publicity for the chief minister and the chief minister is married to one of their reporters and therefore the editor, John McElhaney, has a soft spot for the chief minister and maybe won't be as eager to run those things that may be considered negative publicity. I don't know. And I... I don't know. I, you know, it could have been anything. They, they may have just wanted to get home on Friday. Even the reporter may not have wanted to file the story. Um, she may have felt bullied or, or uninterested in the end. I don't she'd be uninterested to go that far with him. And, to, and her line of questioning was very sound, I thought, and very fair. But they didn't run it. We don't know why. But the perception is that it's because of this unresolved conflict of interest. And... There's no way to get out of that and to explain properly to the public that it isn't that because that's the perception. And, and the perception is that way because they haven't addressed the conflict of interest. And this has gone on for so long. And to, you know, in 2016, I think Media Watch was looking into it. Well, I know that they were. And like I said, these senior journalists had, and it got dropped. They said, oh, yeah, she's been put off to a landline to landline, the rural uh, national program, but she was still in the Darwin office and that, that only lasted a few months. And then she slowly drifted back towards doing the other roles that she should have no business being anywhere near, like chief of staff. Chief of staff. So it's a she, chief of staff of the ABC she, in Darwin. She acted as chief of staff while her husband was the chief minister. Yes, I've seen that. And, uh, and she also uh, executive produced the 7 p.m. bulletin on a day when it was Elf sacking. Like somebody was telling me this. This is the day that Elf got sacked. The biggest political story of the year. Gunner's chief of staff gets fired. They do some sort of story on that, on the, on the bulletin. But what they were telling me in the newsroom is like, you know, that's a big story. That's something that we would do a live cross to Parliament House on. That didn't happen. It was just a story, quick story, and it was brushed off. <laughs> Again, maybe there's reasons for that. It's just that the, the, the public broadcaster now can't explain it away until they address the conflict of interest. Because, and, that's, and that's just a natural thing. That perception is there and the perception is everything. So, you know, coming back to, to this week now, she gets uh, these ads. These ads start popping up about, you know, uh, come to Gateway Shopping Center, meet award-winning journalist, new mom, 
and NT Chief Minister's wife, Christy O'Brien, and she's going to tell you about um, how how they live their lives together, how she juggles her career. And I don't even think that was in the line. That's probably what should have been in there because I think she can contribute more than what they had, which was she'll explain how she handles a child and deals with her husband's very busy and demanding role. That was the wording that they used. His very busy and demanding role, not hers. So that's political. Uh, that's mm. very much political. There are photos. It's billing her as the antique chief minister's wife. Mm. Didn't say anything about ABC on there. And, and you just, that, there's something about that that's not right. There's something about that that, you know, Gunner knows that, that it's in his best interest to have her do these kind of events because yeah. people like her. Mm. And uh, and it looks good on him if she's doing well. And you know, and I and I'll say in her defense that in 2016 she was nowhere near the campaign. And mm. and I remember talking to her at that time, and she said, "Oh, I went to the swearing in when he won because that was a big day in his life. I thought and I should be there." And around that time, she really wanted nothing to do with it. Mm. But this time, 2020, this election, she was all over. I mean, she was mm. running essentially running his social media campaign with the photos of the baby mm. um, and all the other things and really reaching out to people and, and answering their questions, and sending them love hearts and kisses back and, and all of this stuff. So she actively was involved. So now that, that that's over, she's gone back to ABC. The maternity leave's over. She's back at ABC. And then all of a sudden she starts doing this event being billed as the NT chief minister's wife. There, there's issues there. And in fact, because I know the ABC's policies about this, their editorial policies that uh, on, on political relationships, they have these integrity policies in place to protect the integrity and independence of the entire ABC. It's not about one person. And, and it is somewhat selfish in Christie's a decision to uh, to not kind of back away herself on this because, like I said, it's all the other reporters who get questioned. So why didn't these, this story happen like this? Is it because they're friends and Christie's married to the chief minister and so that didn't happen? I mean, everybody's under the spotlight there. Everybody's being questioned, having their integrity questioned while this is unresolved. So, you know, we called around and I sent ABC questions about it. And ABC, uh, the local guy, the local editor is a guy named John McElhaney. I sent him questions, not just about that either. I said, you know, how, did you approve this, this speaking engagement? And if so, don't, it's political, isn't it a conflict? And then I asked questions about how do you deal with the day-to-day -day conflict of interest there? And they didn't answer anything. They didn't answer any of those questions. And uh, instead, I got, they, they, he sent it to one of their spin doctors in Sydney, a woman named Sally Jackson, who came back and said, oh, yeah, we're not commenting on it. We didn't arrange this. Gateway did. And she said, however, we, we've, we've been told that it's not political, therefore there's no conflict of interest. And I said, well, you explain to me, I've sent you the ad, you explain to me how that's not political, because once you start showing photos of politicians, naming politicians, and having the speakers related to the politician, that's political. I said, now, unless ABC has a better definition, please let me know. And nope, we're not making any more comments. So I ended up talking to the shopping center to find out how this kind of all came about. And uh, the marketing uh, woman there uh, told me that she did it, that she called the chief minister's office to book Christy O'Brien. Mm. Um, that's a problem. That's a very serious problem for the ABC and for Christy O'Brien. And maybe not for Gunner, if he wants to book her. She's a popular speaker. 
Um, but that's a very serious problem for the ABC because that is that's completely against their policies to protect the integrity and independence of the ABC. So anyway, I went back to ABC with that. They still came up with some hypothetical and I told them, no, look, you've got a reporter now who, you know, the chief minister's office has helped facilitate the speaking engagement for your reporter now. And you're, you're ignoring the day-to-day conflict of interest of this. Anyway, look, they, uh, they didn't answer anything more after that. So the story has come out now. Um, it's been extremely well read. I got a lot of feedback, of course, from journalists and other people, you know, saying, look, this had to be brought up. This, this, this has to be addressed. I mean, there four years ago, they tried to get it addressed and it just wasn't. And, it, and it's just an, it's just a situation that, um, is untenable really going forward. I mean, you just can't do it. And I guess the, the greatest irony to me of it all was this, that the ABC, who should be able to to show us kind of how you maintain integrity and how you follow principles because they're not in the NT. They're not subject to this weird notion that we have that conflicts of interest are okay. They're, they're actually from the real world where those are, are dealt with and integrity maintain, is maintained above all else. Um, but the greatest irony to me was here we now have the public broadcaster, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, conducting its business the exact same way the Gunner government does. And that is, here's our integrity policy, but we're not going to adhere to it because it's too difficult or it's inconvenient for us right now. And that's what Gunner did last week by scrapping the scrutiny committee. And that's exactly what the ABC has done for four years now by not addressing the conflict of interest it has in its office here in Darwin. So. There you go. Um, I just, you know, it becomes a national thing. The concerns for journalism, I have concerns just for the territory again and how it's being operated. And I've really, I've really like, you know, we're kind of like pleading with the ABC and and the kind of bigger up the executives down there in Sydney who know how the real world operates to, to show us, to show some leadership here. And, and, and show show the gunner government what integrity looks like. Integrity means making tough decisions sometimes, but doing what's in it, you know, for the greater good and for everybody else. And 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 we know that guy is incapable of doing that. But I I think ABC has a responsibility to every taxpayer in this country to do it, let alone territorians to show them that this won't be accepted. It can't be accepted. I suppose one way of looking at this is to take a little bit of an extreme example. So imagine if. Gladys Berejiklian uh, was married to Tony Jones. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, anything that Tony Jones said on the, on the ABC would have to be taken with a huge grain of salt, one would have thought. Oh, absolutely. It would be untenable. Like, it, it, he just wouldn't have been in that position that he was in. would have been something else. Or, you know, like, I, I still think it's like a personal responsibility thing, too. Like, I still think that, that Christie should have thought about her colleagues and other people and thought, okay, there's got to be something else. You know, we're, we've had this life discussions with our partners about what they want to do. And sometimes we support them and we, we take the fall and other times they support us and they maybe don't do something for a little while. And that's how I've lived my life. Um, and here, this is just, she wants the best of both worlds and it's just not going to happen. It just can't happen. It just can't happen because you're compromising everybody else and it's, it's selfish. But to your point, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that we you just couldn't imagine 
the premier's partner being in a role like chief of staff too. I mean, if it was, you know, they were making opinion and they were doing opinion and, and stuff like that, that might be something. I mean, that would be difficult. But if you're opinionated, you're doing talk radio or something like that. But to be involved, to be in behind the scenes, making decisions on how the coverage is going to happen. That's problematic. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just would not happen anywhere else. It's just crazy. Mm. Well, mate, uh, moving on to the Darwin City Council. I mean, we had a long talk about this last week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they're still around. I don't know. What? They didn't shut them down yet. Uh, where are we at with this? This was all about the um, uh, the RSL, RSL wanting to uh, yeah. wanting to move to the Esplanade. Uh, Con having a meeting. There was a resolution that was passed or not passed. Uh, <laughs> was a lot of confusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they still haven't got it figured out quite yet. But they're gonna. They're going along with Khan's narrative at this point, which is that the vote happened to defer the matter. Now, the other part of that, too, though, is that they didn't put a date on it, so it should have come back on Tuesday. And I think Katie Wolf was asking Khan about that, and he said, oh, no, no, it's not coming back this week. And everybody thought, oh, God damn it, we're not taking his word for it. We're yeah. showing up <laughs> because I bet you anything, it's coming back. Yeah. So, uh, look, our good reporter, Roxanne Fitzgerald, uh, covers council. She was down there and she can report that it didn't come back. But people did show up and they let council know what they thought of how they handled the whole thing. Accusations of, uh, of deceit. Love that one. Uh, confusing messaging, they said. Everyone's confused. And of course they are. I mean, we're confused. We're trying to cover this stuff for people. We don't know what's going on. So, uh, yeah, con sticking back to the, uh, the narrative um, that, uh, you know, he had this, he had this epiphany that, uh, you know, some, yeah, it was a mystic thing that he's found out that it's a spiritual site. But now he's saying, look, we're, he's saying essentially that, that because the RSL motion didn't come forward for council to vote on and they're supposed to do in principle support, he said it's not an official application and it won't be brought up now until they get uh, appropriate information, he said, from the Aboriginal Protection Authority. So they're looking into now what the, the credibility of whether or not that is a sacred site. Um, it's just, and then, you know, but now he's got this other story too, where he's saying, oh, you know, I've been told the army now has to use it for trucks and heavy equipment for their shows and stuff. So we may not be able, there's solutions around that. I, he, he, he is kind of seems to be thrown out for a guy who was back and backing it like really strongly and really wanted it. He seems to be throwing every excuse he can now well, to make it not happen. Yeah. Look, I heard the, uh, interview that he had with Katie Wolf the other day. Uh, and, mate, Shifty doesn't begin to describe the way Con was dealing with the questions. I mean, Katie Wolf herself, was this, she was beside herself. Yeah. She was saying, Con, what are, you, what are you saying? I mean, you were on this show not that long ago stating that there would never be any development of the Esplanade. And then Con started saying, no, 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 no not the Esplanade. I mean, down next to the esplanade yeah know? it just sounded so dodgy and uh, yeah you know something's hey, Leon, something's going on there right you know council had a meeting with a law firm too um last week and then camera kind of session and they won't tell us if it was related to the rsl 
um, yeah, it's hard to say too. Like just nobody's kind of talking about that. So it makes me think that it probably is, but uh, I think there's a lot more to come out. And well, look, I know for a fact there's a lot more to come out and we'll get to the bottom of, of all the different stories and uh, actually find out what's going on. But I think it keeps kicking along here. And I think that uh, they certainly heard from the public uh, uh, just on Tuesday about what the public thinks of it. And they, they ain't happy. Mm. I've got two words for you, gentlemen. This story, the last story, Terry's donations, the whole bit, weasel words. <laughs> Everybody's putting out weasel words at the moment. Why won't someone just tell the truth? Oh, it's just you, you, you can't do that in the territory, right? Like I think Woody had the new um, slogan that he offered in Good and Gammon for the territory no consequences instead of boundless possible (laughs) northern territory no consequences like what did he say like here's a place where we don't just dream of lying we do it every day and we do it to cover up our deceptions and our corruption and uh (laughs) you know all these other you know this is the land of griff this is the land where there are no consequences for anything that you've done before Mm. um yeah, uh, I think it, it it really is starting to become that. And it's, yeah, you know, and we, we, we used to laugh about it. We used to say it's a good story, makes for good stories here. But we're really at a place now where, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Some, somebody's got somebody's to do something here. And, um, and it starts with, I think, showing a little bit of integrity and telling the truth, mm-hmm. like you said. But who's going to be the first one to do that? I don't know. I mean, look, we we do what we can. I know we, all three of us here, are not full of shit. We're telling the truth. <laughs> we try and do that in the paper. Um, but yeah, it's uh, until those people maybe have a little higher profile start doing it. It just seems like it's just going to keep happen, keep happening. That this place is going to keep going the way it is. And yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. You were being a little lighthearted there and I took it somewhere dark again and I apologize to you, but I, I just, it just, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to fix the place. I don't think anybody knows how to fix it, but I think we got to stop doing what we're doing and we got to stop and we got to start telling the truth and we got to, hmm. there's got to be consequences for things. You can't have a, like the second in charge head public servant getting trips to Disney world paid for by developers that he'll make decisions on just hmm. continuing his job and stuff like that. Like even the CLP, even the last Giles at CLP understood consequences more. Tolner got sacked. Willem got sacked. You know, they were forced to resign because even they understood there were consequences. I mean, they were getting away with their little things, but once they got caught, well, they resigned. Okay. Yeah. Red card well, I mean, themselves. It might have taken days. It might have taken a while, but but they would do it. Like, I, I don't think, I think we could probably find something like a share scandal with the labor minister like we did with Willem, and I'm talking about Willem Wester Van Halden, the story that broke there, and it took like three or four days on the front page of the NT News, but he finally resigned. I think we could do that. We'd have a huge scandal here with the minister and nothing. I don't think that they have it in them to respect the position enough that they're in to resign from it. I think that they would hang on for everything that it's worth because the, you know they're sucking up for everything that it's worth right now. And I, I just, I really don't think they have the integrity to do that. But it'll be interesting to see because, you know, we're still digging around. We're still finding stuff. And there's going to mm-hmm. come a time, you know, there will be a day where where the, the, there's going to be something that 
that really goes to the credibility of the office and the public's faith in the institution of the office, where the only way to do it is to resign. You know, Kizu Pjörk held on long, too. She was pushed in the end. Gunner said, if she doesn't resign, I'm booting her out of the chair. <laughs> and so and then she resigned. This wasn't because, like, if, if it was, up, you know, she's suing the, 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 the ICAC right now, right? She, like, she still doesn't accept that she did anything wrong and that she tarnished the, 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 the respectability and the integrity of the position that she had. Mm. It's just like, I just see this a lot here. And, you know, you had Elf Leonardi and his stuff and, and everybody still just gets away with everything and there's no consequences. So. It's doubling down, isn't it? There's that whole yeah. concept of, look, I, I, I've probably done the wrong thing, but if I just keep saying I've done the right thing and double down and sue someone and argue the point, then maybe they'll give up. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the their only philosophy or their only kind of yeah, approach yeah. or media approach to dealing with it. Because like I said, like what adhering to your own integrity principles or values is too difficult. Mm. Like, I, I just don't know Like you can't create them and say, we're going to live by these rules and then not follow those rules. Yeah, but yeah. that's what they do. So yeah, yeah. Um, like, I just, I got to read this part from what he's good and gammon though. Uh, about what, <laughs> the new the new slogan for the anti-government. Telling our modern story through the new brand for the territory. No consequences give the people of the territory a common narrative, a language to rally behind, something that truly articulates the essence of what it means to be a Territorian. That's a place <laughs> where there are no consequences. One place left in the world with enough silence to cover your misdeeds and enough space for corruption and incompetence and for your ideas to come to life. A land alive and inspiring, where we don't just dream of lying, we thrive on it. In the territory, thinking big with corruption and incompetence is nothing new. It's what we do. Of birth and rebirth, creation and recreation, the corruption busters and those to hold our negligence to account never came this far. Instead, it's home to people like us, those who saw the boundless potential of this place. Here you can create a new business from your public service or minister's desk. Propel your career and make a real impact on your fat, fat bank account. <laughs> there you go. How many people can we get? We uh, come on up. <laughs> it might it might attract more people than boundless possible. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. And Chris, uh, finally tonight, uh, possibly another example of only in the territory. A uh, a woman's being caught trying to break out of the Howard Springs quarantine facility <laughs> wow yeah these stories get weirder and weirder remember the guy who was running barefoot into the <laughs> to get into the NT. now they're trying to get out um yep. yeah anyway so the police put out this thing today saying that sometime on wednesday a 33 year old woman uh attempted to scale the, a perimeter fence around there uh, around the quarantine facility, the Howard Springs quarantine facility, which some people call, um, what, what is, what's Gunner calling The Center for National Resilience. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> There's somebody who didn't want any resiliency, anything. She wanted to get the hell out of there. So, uh, yeah, apparently police uh, apprehended her. Well, I guess staff would have called police and police have come and now find her $5,000 for the attempted jailbreak violating COVID orders from the chief health officer. Uh, it, it starts to get troubling. And I, I wonder if there's um, like who's, who's 
really watching it all. I mean, they say police are there. Um, and health and wellness officers or something they called them health and wellness officers mm. which is health and welfare officers i don't know what that means but i, I can tell you what it means um well certainly from my experience in queensland is that yeah. every single day they in in their case they probably knock on the door but in queensland mm. they would ring you every day and they do a health and welfare check and yeah. say how are you going today yeah i'm good thanks it's like a holiday okay no worries see you and, and <laughs> there are there are teams of people that are dedicated to doing that well yeah remember when we had the story was last week or the week before where they wanted volunteers people to sign up to to talk and play (laughs) games with them with the quarantiners right and and yeah keep them happy but like and then so what happens what happens when you try to escape quarantine like do you then get put in this yeah do you go in the hole for a week the hole yeah (laughs) (laughs) or like you know what are the consequences is is she under Mm. stricter surveillance now are they like do they sit down like and i wonder too like i think it would go a long way if police gave more information in this instance like how long had she been in there like if she just got in from india today or she got in from uh from london on monday uh that's interesting now she's like near the end and she's going stir crazy or something i don't know I don't know. There's, the, I think that the, the people don't have a lot of confidence in that facility and that, you know, after we saw the, the rave that was going on there and people <laughs> not wearing masks. And yeah. like this place has become an infamous, this Howard Springs facility for all the, the nationally and internationally now. It is worth noting, though, that uh, Karen from Brighton, who's one of the most hated people in Melbourne right now, uh, yeah. she, she, is giving it the thumbs up. She's been tweeting and posting on Instagram saying it's wonderful. So <laughs> it's funny you say that because the government doesn't talk to us. So I was, I would, I would send them questions about that, but I wouldn't get an answer. And then really I've got so many FOIs on the go right now that I'm not going to do one for that, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if they're paying old Karen from Brighton <laughs> as like part of their marketing. She's an influencer. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And they've, they've said that they're doing this before they've done yeah. it before. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. And they're trying to attract people up here and it seems to be working. I don't know how many they got up there now, but, mm. and it's costing us money in the end. I don't know what the terms of the arrangement with the feds are now for covering these, um, the international people coming in. You would hope that that's yeah, yeah. going to not put us on out on the line anymore, but Anyway, it's quite a quite a facility, quite a party place. You get mm. that. You've got people losing their shit and running up, jump, trying to jump fences. I, the, the image we had was like of the barbed wire fence with the mask just hanging on. <laughs> like, as if she got out and she just threw the mask back. Yeah. <laughs> screw you guys. Wait a the minute, car's last. waiting. Yeah, somebody's got the car waiting down below. <laughs> I don't know where she's going. McDonald's or something. Yeah. I don't know. Not well, you guys were laughing at me a few months ago when I said that they, they need to deploy the ankle ankle bracelets. Uh, but I see that I think they might actually be doing that in Perth. I read the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard that. And and for some reason, the, the government's been telling the newspaper, the NT News, that they've got health things on the wrists of. I don't even know what that's about, and they're doing stories like find out how many people have health bracelets. I mean, who cares? Yeah. Like, you know. But look, anything that the monitors them, I guess. Yeah, I wonder if anybody was successful at breaking out of the place. We don't know. Tell you a story about when I arrived in Brisbane. Okay, unbeknownst to me, my mother-in-law was on the same flight as me, 
And <laughs> we get to the front of the queue. We're just standing side by side having a chat while we're waiting to be seen by the police officers. And we, we arrive at what I now know is each police officer is assigned a table and that table denotes which hotel uh, quarantine facility that you're going to be going to. And she's determined to get out of this quarantine thing. So she's, she says to the police officer, oh, or he says, where, are you, where have you come from? We say Victoria. He starts to write out the form. And she's like, oh, but I've been in country Victoria and I haven't seen anyone. And he goes, yeah, all of Victoria is a hotspot. And then, and then she goes, oh, okay, um, I'd like to stay at the Marriott, please. And he, <laughs> he looks at her like, you don't choose where you stay. And he, he picks up this paper and he goes, oh, actually, you will be staying at the Marriott, right? So as, <laughs> as luck would have it. And then so he's putting out the form. About halfway through, she comes up with this idea of saying, oh, instead of doing this, do you think I could be fitted with an ankle bracelet for two weeks so you know where I am? And he looks at her with this look of disdain like I've never seen anyone else of, you don't get to choose where you stay and you don't get to determine whether or whether you're not monitored by a bloody ankle bracelet. <laughs> you're not an ex-crim that's, you know, being monitored for, say, uh, for, for criminal reasons. Yeah, it's uh, like, and, and, and she would be like a, a white-collar criminal. Like that's what <laughs> she's asking for. She's not going in with general lockup. She wants to go to the prison that has the martinis. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I just couldn't have laughed more. The look on his face by the time we left. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know like, uh, if, uh, how, how the uh, Howard Springs facility compares to a hotel. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe some people would rather maybe be at Howard Springs because you have some access to outside and stuff and they have that. Yeah, so it might be nicer true. than a hotel. I don't Table know. Table tennis, uh, there's a rave every Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, swimming, laundry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, Chris. Northern Territory. Yeah. I think we've drained you. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be very interesting to hear the feedback on some of these stories, particularly the, uh, the story about... Um, Christy O'Brien, I think that is something that um, when I first heard it, I, I thought my, to myself, in fact, I mentioned to you, I, well, this is a nothing burger. Why are you making <laughs> such a big deal out of it? But uh, now that I've heard you explain it, mm. uh, I, I can see what the issue is. And, and, and really what you're saying is Christy ought to be thinking about resigning from the ABC mm. um, because that's the only way to maintain the integrity of the ABC. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's that or the, like, I don't know what the solution is. I'm sure that ABC, with all of their policies and with all of their HR people and stuff, I'm sure could figure out something, some way of doing it. But to me, I'm just saying, me personally, I mean, I'd be in that position. Of, yeah, I wouldn't want to drag my, my colleagues through that all. But, you know, I'm not trying to judge her on anything. Like I said, I've got a lot of respect for her. So uh, mm -hmm. we'll see. But it, 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 I think it's a flashpoint now. I think that that after that speech and the, the story going as kind of crazy as it did online here with readership and just knowing that there's other groups involved um, looking into this too, that there's going to be pressure applied. There has been already. And I think the right thing just has to be done. And it's going to, I think it'll go a long way to, to restoring integrity, not just for the ABC, but a little bit for the NT too. Right, Chris, that was Chris Walsh from the NT independent online newspaper weekends with Walshy. Back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.